Hello and welcome to The Real Drunk Show. Today's show's title is Life After Faith. And joining me is one of my favorites, Verdell. How are you doing today? Wow, I'm a favorite. Yes! Can I put that on my resume? I'm writing that down. I'm not sure how far that'll get you. Uh, I was talking to one of my friends about private Facebook groups and he was like, can I use you as a reference? I was like, you are more than welcome to. I don't know if you want to do that because I just wrote in the group, is it meth? It must be meth as a response to one of the comments. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I'm going to put in my bio, Twitter, Black Twitter influencer Kia Speaks said I'm a favorite, <laughs> but we can stop right there. <laughs> that's a, a quick way to get blocked. <laughs> oh, that's, I've already been blocked uh, by a lot. I, it's, it's funny when you find out that you've been blocked and you don't really know why. <laughs> yes, fun times, fun times. How have you been? How has uh, this shelter in place life been treating you? So, because you know, I don't really go out the house anyway. Mm-hmm. So, that part's been not different. Um, the gym has been closed, so that's been okay, but I've been able to work out at home a lot. I have like stuff you know, and all of the other things to work out and be running outside and all of that. Uh-huh. Um, the dog is here. The partner is here. He's working from home. I've worked from home intermittently um, um, within that too. So the part that's aggravating is like, because everything is so up in the air and uh-huh. because everything is so connected here. And so even if Maryland opens up tomorrow, DC's not, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> And so I think just like my own personal routine is thrown off because everybody is home. Yes. Yeah. And so that that that's the difference. It's like, oh, this like I'm not really like my day to day has not really changed a lot because I generally stay close to home anyway. It's just, you know, not having access to some of the areas that I generally might because either they're closed, like in the building that I live in, they're either closed or it's just time when I would generally be just on my own that I'm not because, you know, stuff like that. But even that, it's not, it hasn't been bad, honestly, for me. I know that's not the case for a lot of people, but I've been okay. I'm introverted. So, and I have worked, I worked for home for for a year and a half. So Mm. it's pretty much back to that. Um, It's normal for me to stay at home five days in a row and not go anywhere because just work in school when Mm -hmm. I was working from home. I have started to get a little like I need to get out, but I also have a yard that I can go and sit in and, you know, just going on a drive, teaching the kid to drive. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to do that because it's not as many. Cars oh, yeah. On the road. <laughs> and nobody on the road. Perfect. Right. Time. So just taking advantage of what this. This uh, time out, the gifts that it can give mm-hmm. and trying to stay safe. So we are here to talk about life after faith. Yes, we are. Spicy, right? Yes. Woohoo. Spice. I met you, Verdell. You were like out of um out of seminary. Mm -hmm. You were in a PhD program. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your journey. Well, what part? Let's Okay, so it's a lot. Yeah. Okay, let's start here. Why did you go to seminary? What okay, was... that I can answer. 
Okay. So once upon a time when I moved here to Maryland, um, you know, I was very, very on fire for Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. This was the early aughts. So, you know, um, it was very much a particular type of, of, of Christianity going around. Particularly with black Christians, you know, we had like, you know, the Christian rap stuff and all of that. Oh, and, yeah. And I was in a Christian frat and all the other stuff. And so, yeah, living hard. Oh, you were God. saved, saved. I was. So, you know what the funny thing is? I was saved, saved, but we were radical enough to get the super saved. We were too saved for like the heathens, but we were too worldly for the saved folk. And so, I mean, for, for and so we were always in this in between. Like, we would be the ones who would, we would be the people who would go and talk about being delivered <laughs> in the middle of a step show, but then, <laughs> but then go to Howard Homecoming and stroll to like the secular songs, and then have everybody talk about us afterward. And so we were always in between those. And so yeah, it was interesting times. But I went to seminary because I I perceived myself at that point to be called. And like the nerd I am, I was just like, well, I need to actually learn something, right? And I was in the DC area and one of my Lyme brothers, um, um, there's a chap- there was a chapter at Howard University. And one of my Lyme brothers was going to the Divinity School. And so that's how I found out. Now, mind you, I had no idea about any how Divinity School, Seminary, the differences, Bible College, no clue. Uh-huh. And before I graduated undergrad, I was looking to go to... Um, the International House of Prayer, maybe, you know what I mean? They called yeah. it IHOP then, and, and so all of that. So I was like, really, like, God has gives us superpowers saved, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, at least in, in that incarnation. And um, Howard was there, and it was just like, it seemed to be, seemed to make sense, it seemed to make be the next step. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea. Um, that sounds about like how I was when I registered. <laughs> huh? That sounds like I was when I registered. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I don't know everything there is to know. So let me sign up and see what happens. Oh, but I guarantee that you knew far more than I did. Um, I had mm-hmm. no clue because I was still going, the churches that I was going to at that time, I was going to a pretty popular church in the area. Um, the, one of the, the, the cool black, you know, the cool black churches. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I was going there and just nobody talked about Howard in those worlds. No one talked about Howard Divinity School. It wasn't a discussion. It just wasn't something that popped up. And so I just went and I just started. Now, my minor in undergrad was also in religion. Okay. And so I had exposure and that's when I became a serious committed Christian in college. And so I just took it because it was there and I was interested and I was always interested in like spiritual stuff and, and religion. And, but I still did not understand what, what I was learning in those classes was a million miles away from what happened at church. Like this, the two never really came together in that way. Cause mm-hmm. it just, it was like, I was probably just, just, you know, given my age and what I didn't understand. And, and also I was very, very into church but mm-hmm. still not to the point of somebody that was steeped and grew up in it. Okay. You know what I'm so, saying? So you didn't grow up in church. Mm-mm. I had the stereotypical uh, Christian grandmother. She uh-huh. was Seventh-day Adventist. And so even that was different. And so mm-hmm. I, I, you know, she didn't do nothing on Saturday, which did not work. 
Um, she, you know, when we was found out over her house, you couldn't do nothing until the sun went down because that meant the day was over. Ah, so you had to sit still at grandma's house on a Saturday. I mean, she had little Bible studies and stuff, and I always thought they were interesting. Like, I always thought it was like just what they were explaining. I like read it, like, this is interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. but I would always ask my grandmother questions, and so my questions would sometimes frustrate her because I wouldn't really settle for her answers. I mean, I, I mean, looking back now, it's like, okay, yeah, clearly we see where this is going to end up. But the answers that she gave, like, I remember one time she was talking about man going into outer space and how it's ruining things. And I'm like, but Nana, what if going up there is helpful? Why would God be mad at that? Or I would ask, why does God care about Saturday? Like, what's, like, church did not make sense to me. Uh-huh. It didn't make sense everything that people were doing. Like, it's more to it now that I'm looking back and understand why that, but particularly, I remember one time saying to my grandmother, Nana, you always talk about those folks. Why do you even go? You don't seem like you like them. Why do you go? <laughs> I was one of those kids. So, but I mean, it just, it, it didn't occur to me, um, all the other reasons that she did really care about it. You know what I mean? It was a really important thing for her. But my grandmother was my first exposure to Christianity. Like my mom wanted us to go, um, but the church, my mom wanted to go and sing in the choir. It's my family, um, uh, a little known fact, my family is very musical. So Mm. everybody sings, plays an instrument. Most of us sing and play an instrument. It's not what do you sing or what do you play? It's not do you, it's what, which one? It's just Mm -hmm. assumed that you do something. And so um, my mom wanted to go sing in the choir and bring me along because when I was younger, I used to, to act and sing and all of the other stuff. And so, but I didn't want to. I was like, nope, I don't want to go to church. It's hot. I don't like dress clothes. I don't really like all the noise. And my mm-hmm. dad is the one who said, no, don't force him to go because if you make him go now, he's not going to go later. Mm. And so in a in an interesting way, like I think my, my dad was forced to go as a kid and he hated it. And so what he said was, let him make the choice to go. If he really, he does not have to go to church. There's no reason for him to go. It's extra. If he wants to, sure, but don't make him because if you make him now, he's not gonna wanna go later and it should be his own decision. And so in a weird way, it ended up being my decision, but for reasons that we'll ultimately get to when we, probably when we get to that, um, um, to that point. But um, I was kind of, sheltered away from, uh, not exactly, but I, I wasn't steeped in it like somebody who's under the church going, you know, Wednesday and Thursday and Sunday and there for hours. And that was not my experience, but I still um, was impacted, if you will, um, uh-huh. by the Christian experience and even pseudo-Christian ideas that people had around me. So I still was very impacted by it, but not like somebody who, you know, grew up steep in it, which I think ultimately gave me more room and space to think, even when I was deep in Jesus land. Uh Um, It gave me room to think about it because it just wasn't something that, it was a choice. Uh I walked into, it wasn't something that was just there for my entire life. And so I think- A lot of times times when you're in it from birth, Mm -hmm. you don't feel like you have that room to critically think about what you're engaging in because it is what you do. It's part of mm-hmm. family culture. Right. And I also was somebody before. Mm. 
<laughs> and I know that sounds harsh, but, and I don't mean like as in oh, like an important person, but I mean like I had a life and identity and things, not a lot, but so many people that I know, if you took church away, they don't exist anymore. Like they have mm -hmm. no idea who they are outside of that context. And I don't say that as in like, like if that's how someone chooses to live their life, that's fine. But their identity is so wrapped up in it that you can't tell where they stop and it begins. Uh -huh. It's like, what do you like to do? Jesus. What's your favorite drink? Jesus. And it's like, okay, do you, like, who are you? Like uh -huh. type of thing. And a lot of people, that takes skill and time and effort to carve that out, particularly as you get older. And uh -huh. because I've had experiences before, even though I was what, 19 when I gave my life to Christ, um, as it were, I still, and even at that point, I still had experiences that weren't attached to church. Like I had, a, I did martial arts. I read about Zen Buddhism. I had, you know, like I did, I took world religion. So I, I had, I watched anime, you know what I mean? So like, and mm. I, so I, just, I, I just had this concept that the world, and I wasn't like, I wasn't rich. I grew up in the hood. So it's not like, you know, I was traveling everywhere, whatever, but I just had this understanding of the world, of the world that didn't go away even when I was a very serious Christian and I was very serious. Mm -hmm. Allison says, that's it. That is what <laughs> makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Hi, Allison. <laughs> Another one of my faves. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you're in seminary mm -hmm. and, um, and you are like this dynamic preacher. I was, I won a preaching award. I mean, how it was did, just from, it wasn't. so good? So I kind of cheated. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't cheat. So again, my, I, I don't talk about it much, but back in the day when I was young, I really was like an actor, singer, whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I knew how to act. I knew how to say lines. I could remember tons and tons of things. I was very creative, all that type of stuff. And I also had like some very informal but intense public speaking training. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it was um, leading up to eighth grade graduation. Um, and so, and I was giving a speech and me and, what, and my best friend, Linda growing up and, and a couple of our other friends after we had to stay after school and practice our speech and he taught us how to inflect our voice and do all these other things. And I held on to that. Um, and so I just held on to it. And I've been doing public speaking like that in some form since, honestly, since kindergarten. Now it's Martin Luther King in the play. So it's something that I've always been, something I could always do really, 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 really well. And so you take that and then at Howard, I remember just the night that we had my preaching class, I just preached and everybody was just like, what was that? Like that, I've never heard anything like that before. And I was really flabbergasted, like just like, like, cause I mean, it wasn't, and I'm, I'm describing it. I mean, funny thing is I hate where preachers brag on themselves, but I'm explaining it how it happened. <laughs> like I, I was not trying, I was just doing it. It was literally the first time in that capacity. Um, I had taught Bible studies and facilitated stuff before. So it wasn't like I was 
totally unaware of teaching, you know, and talking in front of people, like they said. But I guess I think I talked about something, something from Corinthians. I don't remember. I don't even remember. But everyone was so wowed, including the professor. And my professor at the time was um, Dr. Kenyatta Gilbert. Um, so he's like a renowned um, homiletician and all of that. And so um, everybody was wowed. Everybody was wowed. And I was very caught off guard by how wowed everybody was. Because again, I went, this is when I was at Howard when I took this preaching class. And, you know, everybody was hooting and, and doing their stuff. And it was very, even though they were doing that, it was also kind of a setup where you preach, but then people critiqued what you preached. Mm -hmm. And so people mm -hmm. who thought they were, you know, hot shit, when it was time to, you know, uh, get replies that it'd be like, actually, you just made a lot of noise. You didn't really say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always the best moments. Um, but th that's where it came about. And I just, I guess I got known for that. And so mm -hmm. I preached at a couple of places. Um, I, I, I enjoyed preaching because I'm good at writing and that's how I did it. I would write out my sermons because I write, I can write how I talk and so I can do it like mm -hmm. that. And so you won't know that I have a paper unless I show you or I tell mm -hmm. you that I have a paper because mm -hmm. I know how, how to do it. And so I would write it out. Um, I could write my thoughts and I could say them. I had really good um, metaphors and examples because that's just how I think anyway. And I did it with, it my way. And I think that's that's what was so striking about it. And so that's how it started. I guess it just kind of got known for, I think also the things that I said at that time at Howard, because I went to Howard right around when same-sex marriage was an issue in Maryland and DC. Mm -hmm. And so it was a hotbed. Now I wasn't really mm -hmm. like out or anything then. I was still figuring my little self out, but Toward the time when I was in preaching class, I was starting to, you know, get more and more of a, and I didn't know what I thought, but I knew the homophobes were wrong. Uh -huh. That much I knew. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just didn't, I was still figuring stuff out, but I think just people knew that I would say that I would be honest. And I think just, cause you know, you're with your classmates and you're in class having discussions and at that time we had some intense arguments and disagreements so people would know hey, Verdell's going to get up there, he's going to say something, and I might not like it, but, you know, um, I mean, I'm wrong often, but in those situations, usually I was not wrong. Um, if I said, uh, <laughs> you, so. you, you made some key points, though, on what it takes to be a good preacher. You were authentic and you were yourself. You were comfortable in your own skin, and you weren't afraid to tell the truth. A lot of, so from I'll, another preaching instructor that I had, mm -hmm. um, um, Dr. William McLean, who's also another famous black um, homiletician, he said, he had a critique to somebody I thought was very good. He said it very nicely, but mm -hmm. it was a read. It was very much a read. He said that you, you clearly understand how to perform black preaching. It's also important that you say something when you're preaching too. And I wow. think particularly, and well, it's true. I think black preaching, it it has, it's a culture and a style and a delivery far more varied than people give it credit for, to mm -hmm. be fair. Mm -hmm. But even, even the stuff that we can readily point out, 
still has a history and and it matters. Like it's not just it's not rubbish. Like it, it's it's cultural. It matters. It's very much from our people. Very much from our experience. You can trace stuff all the way back to Africa. Um, mm -hmm. So the people do and mm -hmm. how we say things. The problem is, is that when you just mimic the form, but don't know, it's like getting an instrument, like getting a clarinet and just blowing in it and playing with your fingers on it, right? You mm -hmm. don't really know how to make the notes. You don't, have to, you don't know what to do with it. And some people know how to move the people in right ways without saying anything. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. people don't understand it, we can't really separate those two things out. It's like, I enjoy watching a quality black sermon performed in that archetypical way that we would expect if people are saying something and being ethical. And a lot of people honestly aren't being authentic. I remember mm -hmm. one person said to me as a critique in preaching class, they were like, Riddell, your sermon was so good. I'd just be really excited when you hoop. And I was just like, but I don't hoop. I don't do that. Like it'll be inauthentic. Now I can do it, but I uh -huh. would be acting. Uh -huh. And why would I act? Like God mm -hmm. called me, not some pretend fake me. At least mm -hmm. that's what I would say then. So it's like that that would that's the critique that I got. It was like, oh well, Verdell, your you know, your sermons are great. I just can't wait until they're more devotional. Mm -hmm. Um where it'd be like, wait, so you want some save your soul, don't drink, don't whatever. All the stuff that you all are doing anyway. Um, so why, I mean, let's move on to something else, like social justice. Let's talk about that. Cause maybe we can fix that. We're not going to fix you being a cheater. So let's move on. <laughs> you just fired so many chats. I can go <laughs> why that? waste our time? <laughs> let's work on what we can change here. Exactly. So let's do something this. else. Let's solve racism, not your cheating. That's a smaller issue. <laughs> yeah, let's, I mean, you're going to keep cheating. We've been here before. You're going to keep getting drunk at the bar. Let's talk about the march. Let's, <laughs> let's switch topics. So when did you start feeling a tension between you being called to ministry and you, well, first of all, let me back up. How do you currently identify? So technically, I would say that I'm an atheist, technically. Okay. Um, I wrestle with the word, not because of the meaning, but because of the implications that it comes with. A lot of people, when they hear atheists, particularly black folks, they think white. And so mm -hmm. they think that, that my bookshelf is just lined with white philosophers and Greek this and Roman that, and there's some of that there, yes. But um, <laughs> uh, but it's it shuts down the very real conversation. Like I think that my walking away from belief, a part of it, a third of it, if I had to split it up, at least a third, is out of my love and sincere concern for Black people. Um, and so it's not really. It's not because I think that I'm smarter. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, let me walk that back. No. Because one thing that I worked on doing was earlier on, sometimes I would, when I would bring up questions and I would talk about where my feelings were, I would always feel that, and even progressive Christians do this. It's this idea where I have to be overly nice. It's mm -hmm. like you are, you're the, you're the, you're the diversity person. You mm -hmm. can talk about your little non-belief or your questions. Just don't mess up our show. <laughs> 
Mm. And fine, whatever. But if you can say your thing, I can say, I mean, you're not doing this. I'm just saying in general. Um, but for me, it was about wising up a little bit and being more aware of my own experience, not necessarily a factor of book knowledge, because seminary didn't take my faith away. Seminary that was round one or two, question. it didn't do it, didn't do it at all. And then, you know, um, it was living life and experiencing mm-hmm. life. Um, but to get to your question, I think it was a slow drip, but certain things pushed me further along. Um, I was really burnt out after my first PhD year. So I took a break from church. Church was really rough. I had gone to a more progressive denomination um, and, you know, the lie that, oh, well, you know, the more progressive denominations are better. They're not, you're not usually. Um, they burn you out for other reasons. And so that was a, a long struggle. Burnt out, dealing with some health issues, things like that. And was thinking about going back and how would I go back? But when I was like, wow, I like having Sundays. This is fun. Like, wow, you know what I mean? It's interesting. But what pushed me, a number of things started to push me. I think one, I would say the first thing is, no, that's too early. A moment when I think walking away became on the table, because at first it was just, okay, maybe church like this, no, but it wasn't necessarily, oh, I wasn't going to be a Christian anymore, which is, uh-huh. okay, look, forget the church stuff. We had an event in 2016, right? Um, and me and some and some friends, some folks, you know, you know these a lot, you know these folks. Okay. We had an a, event at um, Princeton Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. and it was me and other queer ministers, mm-hmm. and we had the idea that we were talking to a room full of people who were allies, and some of them are and were. Okay. Um, and so what we did is we got up there and we just shared our stories in some pretty open ways, pretty much showing people saying like, look, here are our wounds. This is what happens. And I remember someone, I'm not going to say who it is. (laughs) Probably. Hmm. Um, but, but it's, it's less about this person and more about what they said and the response that happened as a result. And so it's not really, it's not, it's not particularly just about the person. It's what happened as a result. They said, you know, I'm based, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know, I don't want to leave my grandmother behind. Like we were talking about homophobia. We were challenging people to really like challenge your pastors. Like you all, particularly the straight folks, challenge your pastors, you know, like, you know, like really challenge folks, challenge folks the way that you do when it's your issue, challenge mm-hmm. folks the way, like when you want us to, when, when you want us to, to, um, when you want us to cancel the concert because the, the, the woman beating uh, singer is, is preaching, when you want us to call the church, do that for us type of thing. You know, when you want us to go march and, and against the cop, whatever, do that for us too, uh-huh. right? Because we're with you there, so do the same thing for us. And it was like, well, I don't want to leave my grandmother behind. I don't want to leave people behind just because everybody takes time. It was the, everyone takes time to grow. Mm-hmm. That, that line that I hate so very much. Mm-hmm. Not because it's not true, but it's usually a cover. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not that it's, it's not inaccurate, it's just that my well-being should not be predicated upon your willingness to sit down and grow. That's foolish to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you, what does your growth have to do with me being healthy, happy, and safe? 
if we don't, you know, we don't say that when it's the white folks um, shooting people or the cops shooting people. We don't say that at all. We know we have to give time for the cop to grow. Right. And <laughs> you know, we don't say the that. Organization's job to move so people can grow into that organization. You don't sit mm -hmm. and wait on every individual to grow and then move as an organization. So well see, right. Well see the thing about it is too is that and I think me and a number of us I said is like even back in the day, like when we were like really in the whole, you know, progressive theological commentary on Twitter every second type of thing, <laughs> my issue was never really with the person in the pew, mm. right? Uh -huh. That was never really my issue because the pew has a number of different ways of figuring themselves out that may or may not come to the forefront. My issue always has been the preachers uh -huh. who have similar degrees. Sometimes they just write that they have similar degrees as I do. Sometimes they actually have them. Sometimes they just, you know. Um, <laughs> that they have access to this knowledge. They've gone to school, they've done the work. And if they know well enough to continue to have their own little liaisons behind, you know, whatever, in front of whatever, they choose to say something that they know full well has a variety of meanings and differences and understandings. They are the ones who are choosing to not let the church go somewhere different because they, because then you, and here, here's the real tea with that. Then that means there's competition. Mm. There's competition. The same thing like with women, in, at least in, in my opinion, in ministry. A lot of the women that I know, black women, even black women whose theology I don't agree with, if you were to take them and take their background and their training, they're, give me one quality, theologically trained, astute preaching man and I will probably find four astute, theologically trained, well-preaching black women. Because you have to, like the only way you even get noticed is if you are really, really good. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that just to clown and, and hate on the dudes because I'm, I'm a dude myself, but dudes just have to show up and sound a certain way and they get more cred. Um, and I can say it as somebody who, yeah, I'm a man, but being, being, being a man, but being a queer dude, you get to see a lot of the stuff that happens and uh -huh. because of the way I present, they don't really change too much. But mm -hmm. it's like, no, they, they like the women have to be that much more trained just to get noticed. And a man can come up there and write his sermon on the Uber to church. And all of a sudden, because he knows how to holler and squall, he gets the church going. But in our class, he doesn't do any homework. He doesn't do, you know, he, 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 he's a bump on the love. But he's a man, and he's tall, and he's some marginally charismatic, and so, so carries you far. When I went but to seminary, it, it felt like I was going behind a curtain because what I realized is like, to people who have been to seminary, so much of this stuff is common knowledge, but it's such a gap between what we talk about in class and what shows mm -hmm. up in the church, and right. like. Why is there such a gap when that gap is causing harm to real people's lives? Well, that's a complicated question. I think number one is that you have to understand, like let's just take for black people, what mm -hmm. church is for, mm -hmm. right? For uh, agree or disagree with it, church serves a function, a function that is either vital or uh, of vital functions 
and slash or functions that no, nothing else has been able to serve for better or for worse. And so people go to church to get something. They go to church to find some way to salve themselves. They, and I don't mean this necessarily in a derogatory way. Like, you know, people say like, oh, you're just going there, like, you know, like as a crutch or whatever. Cause everybody's a crutch once in a while for something, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, but people live really hard lives um, mm -hmm. in various ways. And so people aren't, the black Christian tradition is rich with intelligence, it's rich with thought. And it's like, yeah, wait, it, why is the atheist saying this? But but it, it's still true, like it's thinkers, it's people who are being very intentional. Um, but the way that we do it is, is, is culturally different than, mm -hmm. we're not just gonna go up there and sit in a sermon and just be, have a lecture. That's not what we do. That's not who we are, it's not, it's not culturally, generally speaking, that's just not it. And so, it's the idea is that you go away, you learn all that, and then you bring it back. But also the idea is if, because you know, for many years, the seminarian, like the preacher was the most educated person in the congregation, or one of, if not the. And yeah. so they get sent away, they learn, they come back, and they bring all the tools to help people. And the things that people are dealing with, like, you know, if you, you know, people are poor, racism is all around, people are sick, you know, things like that. And so it's kind of challenging to, it can be challenging to fit all those things in where you're trying to just basically get people, at least bandage them up to get to next week, you know? Yeah. Um, and so yeah. that could be the case. I think another part of it is too, is that it, even with all of that, there would be more, um, there would be more if more of the preachers actually took it, I think. And I'm, I'm talking from my experience. And so, uh -huh. of course, lives may vary. But I'm just being real. Most of the people that I graduated with, if you heard them speak, you wouldn't know that we all went to the same school. You wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know. And mm -hmm. I don't mean necessarily just in the style. It's just that for whatever reason, people think that folks can't, quote unquote, handle it. When in reality, a lot of people... And I think maybe to be fair, I think my experience was unique. Howard, I love my experience at Howard when I went to Howard Divinity School. It's also a very much a who's who of in people in ministry in the area if you're black. Mm. And so like when I was at an AME church, like literally it was 10 of us on the pulpit and eight of us went to Howard and, and one person was matriculating through. And so we all had the same people all, none of the people didn't take classes seriously, but you can tell where certain things stopped off. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, you can tell when, and I even know people who, even people who were more, I like more progressive, who were like, oh, well, the people aren't ready. And it's like, well, isn't it your job as the pastor to help make, I don't remember Jesus saying, oh, you're not ready. I don't remember seeing that. Right. He just kind of got them ready and empowered them and to walk through it, you know what I mean, in those ways, but it's just like, what do you mean they're not ready? It's, I blame the pastors. Um, and sometimes it is the church. Sometimes it is the church. Well, we don't want all that. We don't, so it's not that. But, but, I, am, but I focus on the folks who have similar degrees as me. I don't expect the person in the pew who did not go to school with me. We, we don't, you don't, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We don't, we, we can't, not even work. But the folks who sat in the same classes as me or similar classes as me, who 
you know, who made those same decisions and have been exposed and have access to the same things, who choose not to let that impact them, usually that that is a, not all, but that is a big reason as to why you don't hear them out of it in church. Like, like you will never hear that, oh, well, Paul didn't write a bunch of these. You won't hear it. They learned it. They learned it. Uh-huh. You know, but they'll never say it. Uh-huh. You know, they'll never say it. They choose to filter what they say and don't say. Um, so that, because it, and to, cause to be fair, it's a career. Many, and particularly with the men, I'm going to go there again. This could also be a subtitled Secrets into Male Preachers. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get off the preaching though, because we want to know about the life after. Okay. <laughs> a, a lot of people only, they only, um, this is all they can do. And I don't mean that in a shady way. No, but this is the I, this is the one place where my you know and and uh, so a lot of it is because of racism too. It's like mm-hmm. this is the place where who I am and my talents and gifts people notice me. I get affirmation. I'm empowered, mm-hmm. and I don't mean like in a superficially. I mean in a very real, meaningful way. And when you mm-hmm. step outside of that, it's gone. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And so people hold on to it and do everything they can to protect their position in it because if they step outside of it, they don't have the internal edifice, if you will, to be able to construct a life and meaning without it and without those tools and without that affirmation because in their mind, and in some ways society has proven the right, it's like, well, I'm somebody here, mm-hmm. outside, I'm not. So I'm just gonna defend it and you know, no gay people and keep theology the same and everything because to change everything means that I lose my spot. So were you able to walk away from faith because you already had a worldview or a sense of yourself outside of preaching? I think that's a part of it. Um, I wrestled with it for a while. I kind of refer to my faith as like a pilot light on a, on a gas stove mm. and that it just went out. It went out. Wow. And I tried for about a year to get it going. I really tried to get it going somehow, some way. Um, but I think what clicked for me, and this is going back to what I said, something I said in the beginning, uh, my childhood was rough in, in a number of ways. And mm-hmm. one way that the adults around me um, reconciled it was by saying, you know, you're a special kid and you know, God has something special for you. And that's mm-hmm. why you're going through all of this rough stuff. And so for me, in my mind, when that clicked, that, oh, snap, I wasn't forced to go to church, but I was kind of set up to think that church was the end game, that this was all happening for some great reason. And when I realized that was really a trauma response, that's when I was able to walk away. Wow. Um, And it doesn't mean that my time didn't have value, it doesn't mean that I didn't learn things, but I realized that I was kind of wound up and sent in a direction and that part of me reclaiming myself was being able to make my own choice. Um, that my, that the adults around me were, that was their way of coping too, to, to be frank, but that's just not healthy. And when I realized that like, wow, this, I thought 
in my mind from a young kid, oh, well, I'm going to be this church person something or another one day because this is why all this bad stuff is happening to me all the time. And it's because something is special about me. Um, you know what I mean? And when that unraveled, um, that's when it was just like, okay, yeah, I can. Because the thing is, that it, it left me. It wasn't there anymore, but I was trying to find a way to get it back somehow. But once that clicked for me, that's when I stopped trying to get it back. So you just gave me an image of the little wind up toys when you were like, I was wound up. So I'm mm -hmm. thinking about like someone who is like, is engaging in all this bad stuff or not engaging in, but experiencing all of this bad stuff as a kid of no fault of their own, just like a mm -hmm. light around you happening. And each time that happens, someone winds you up and says, God is gonna use you, you're mm -hmm. special. There's a reason you're enduring all this so that when mm -hmm. you're out into the world, you go at, like the little toys do. You just walk off into mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. And at some point, it stops. The windup stops you from moving. Mm -hmm. and, and that's when you're dealing with the reality of this being the trauma that yeah, was, yeah. coping with the trauma. Mm -hmm. And it was it was my parents, and I, I think that's also moving a wider. That's one of my issues is that just we have a preoccupation with redemptive suffering, mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that suffering you can learn things from suffering if you survive it. But everyone doesn't survive suffering. Everyone doesn't survive it. Um, I think that's that's the thing. Um, I think that. And um, for me, that was key in realizing that. And I was, to be fair, some of these things I was already chopping at the bit for this before, but I was still a Christian. Like, yeah, it's had like, you know, very different beliefs. But I think the challenge for folks is that it wasn't like I left a very conservative TBN version of Christianity. It was like, oh no, I have a process theology book here and I don't agree uh -huh. with that either. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, well my, you know, I think and I think looking back, I see that I used to, even in the progressive Christian circles that I was in, I think I actually said this one time, I pro it probably didn't land well <laughs> when I said it, but it's this weird way I said, you know, it's a, I, I'm gonna say what I said wrong, so I'm not even gonna try, but it's like, it's just everyone's the cool kiss now. It's like you all are this, it's just, okay, so you get drunk and have sex in public, It's but it's still the same, what's who cares? And not to say that it doesn't matter, you know what I mean? Because I think untangling that sexuality stuff, I mean, a lot of what I did was untangling that type of stuff in the public eye. So it's not that, not that I'm against all of that, but it was just kind of like, okay, so when you would move on to other theological things, it was like, and at least for me where I was moving toward, it wasn't enough to have a gay face in a place. Mm. Um, it wasn't enough just to be like, oh yeah, we're going to think and do all the same things. It's just that I'm gay and here's my partner or whatever. Uh -huh. That just wasn't enough if you couldn't tell if what to me at that point, even then, it was like, what's the point if you can't, if I'm not giving something different, what's the point of being a queer person saying something, preaching a sermon that's just as empty <laughs> you know, I mean, what's the point? It's just that, oh, I'm gay. Like, oh, the gay people wanted to want to be bad theologians too. And so to me, that wasn't enough. 
I want the right to be trifling like everybody else, <laughs> you know? And that's kind of what it was. And it was just kind of like, for me, I was like, well, that just wasn't it for me. But I also understand that for a lot of people um, in those spaces, they had a lot of ministry dreams, particularly folks who are around the same age, became an age up around, you know, the Juanita Bynums and stuff in the world. And mm -hmm. Ministry had a certain look and feel to it. And depending on who you might be, you might be disenfranchised from that. And so in my view, a lot of people were trying to still live that dream out, but mm -hmm. that dream increasingly became further and further away from me. I mean, who knows if it, if it happened, I might not be sitting here, who knows? But I think that just goes to show you how tenuous faith is, that if faith is something that, and I mean faith specifically like in God, if it's something that's model and important, should something like that be enough to be like, oh, well, never mind, uh, mm -hmm. uh, um, a, a something of chance? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? If I was that called and that special, seems to be a lot left to chance to keep me in the fold. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't seem to make sense um, if you're the apple of someone's eye and if they're, your name is inscribed on their palm and you know, all the other, those wonderful, beautiful scriptures and all of that. Why is it that easy? You know, I, I get annoyed when my dog walks away. So mm -hmm. I don't understand, you know, just this. But I really think too, what happened is I had a different understanding of what love was. And the more I understood love, the more God didn't make sense anymore to me. Okay, let's talk about that. Because what was your understanding of love as a Christian? And what did your understanding of love become that allowed you, gave you permission, the freedom to walk away and not believe? Does that make sense? Is that the right way to ask that question? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think in English, because you know, I, I did all the merry stuff and took Greek and Hebrew and all that yes. other stuff. And so English is boring because we only have like one word for love. Uh-huh. Like maybe you might push it and say, oh, adore. But what does that mean? Like, you know, we say, oh, I adore my spouse and I adore my shoes. Like, it doesn't, you don't really know. It's going to be applied to something. <laughs> like, it doesn't really tell you much. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's where my, and like, God loves you. And I guess it was all the assumptions of what that meant. But I think as I went through my own kind of really dark time in like 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. and I kind of like experienced the world, you know what I mean? And I experienced what other people went through. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, the more I did it, the more I was like, okay, this doesn't really make sense. And it's one scripture that I always come back to. It's like, if you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give to you? Mm -hmm. And it just, yeah, it just falls flat. It, um, you know what I mean? It falls flat for me in, in that place. It's that it's, um, love doesn't do that. In fact, the things that often are ascribed to God is like, oh, this is the person we would say they were an, an abuser mm. or at the very least a very absentee parent, mm. um, a parent that cannot be relied upon, a parent that really has no power, no authority. It's like that dad or that parent who comes on once in a while, they, they visit once every other month and they're trying to tell you what you can and can't do. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's, I think, to be fair too, the type of Christianity that I came from 
and I think this could qualify for anybody, but I think the the willingness to make excuses for God has gone away. It went away. Mm. And to me, understanding what love looks like in my own life, that love includes, love is expressed by showing up for people. Love is expressed by helping people. Love is expressed by intervening, you know, mm -hmm. and, and not have to wonder, was it you? Mm. Or have to, in hindsight, you know, when my partner helps me, I don't have to wonder, wow, you know, I didn't know it then, but, you know, I asked for a dollar and he didn't give it to me, but he went outside and whispered to a stranger and the stranger left a dollar on the sidewalk and that's how I got a dollar. And so, wow, my partner loves me. But that's mm -hmm. what we say about God, <laughs> you know. So it, um, it's yeah. the absence of God's presence, the absence of an active loving God in in the world and your life that open your eyes to a world where God doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, I think and it's and like I said before, it's bigger than that too. I think that <laughs> black people, particularly black women, are the most religious group in the United States. Uh-huh. And where is it? <sighs> you know, now there's the there is the social piece of the function that church and belief serves, where people get very, very human needs met, right? Mm -hmm. So that part is very real. Mm -hmm. God doesn't have to be real for those things to happen, for the community, the organizing, the history, the all the other stuff. It Church is the one thing that Black people have, one of the few that's just ours. Right, mm -hmm. so we can mm -hmm. do, and you get, you get, you generally, generally speaking, not all of us, but generally speaking, you get respected at least as a black person there, and we don't get that everywhere else, and you know, you get to learn and grow and 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 learn new skills and meet people and network, and we don't get those things everywhere else. Those things don't need a god for it to those things to happen. You know, mm -hmm. you can do that at the coffee shop. You can do that. I mean, the same reason people join churches is the same reason people pledge fraternities and sororities, the same reason mm -hmm. why people join the running club, right? Mm -hmm. So just that very human thing, that's there. And I never, ever want to ever denigrate that piece of it. But God doesn't have to be real for that to be impactful. But for me, it was about understanding my life in a context and as as I went through those experiences and as I saw what made the most sense for me, uh -huh. particularly understanding what love is and looking outside and it's like, things are getting worse. You know, the mm -hmm. civil rights movement is basically the way it's told. It's like, you know, every church was just marching all the way. We know that it's not true, but it's, mm -hmm. it's mean as like, you know, Martin Luther King was the figurehead and it was Christian and whatever. So did God run out of power? Is that why mm -hmm. the Voting Rights Act was gutted? Did God have to charge for 400 years in order to free the slaves? And the only way God could do it was through a war. Like, you know, like these critically, like, now these things came after the fact. It's not like these type of things aren't what led me away from faith. I will say that for me, I would say it's the one being disappointed by Christian allies that mm -hmm. definitely helped. It didn't mm -hmm. push me out the door, but it certainly opened the possibility. But then just 
acknowledging my own experience, uh, my own personal experience. I had a really rough time. Um, um, health issues, professional issues, all types of stuff going on that even to, even then I still didn't know. I didn't find about a bunch of stuff until even recently. Mm -hmm. um, just like mental health stuff, physical stuff, all types of stuff. Just didn't know. And it was really causing havoc um, in, in, in my own personal life. And, you know, it just, it was a hard time. It was a very hard time. And sometimes I buck at the idea that, oh, well, you're just mad at God, so that's why you left. And it's like, well, you can, duh, aren't, don't you leave people when you're mad at them? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that make sense? Why does God deserve more? Um, you know what I mean? More credit. Um, God, if it's God, wouldn't you expect more? I think that's the thing. I think that I expect a lot more of God based on what the Bible presents, mm -hmm. honestly, not just like some little, but that's just where it came from. But I think that ultimately for me, it's a part of loving myself and allowing myself to figure out who I am as a person, separate from the influences of other people that I have outgrown That's and realizing cool. where that's from and realizing that, and it's not even to blame them, but that was the adults around me. That's how they dealt with their trauma. So that's mm -hmm. how they gave it to me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have trauma induced beliefs because you got to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that is something that's important to me for people to like just talking about, religious related trauma and abuse and how that impacts so many people to this day who do and say and live certain ways simply because even people who don't go to church are doing this and saying a certain thing and thinking a certain thing because someone said the Bible says it. So, um, so yeah. Someone's listening to this and they're saying, so God didn't give you what you want. So you walked away. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's ridiculous to them and unfaithful and very, very human centered to people who are taught to focus on, on something higher, something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? Well, I would say a number of things. Um, one, I think in some ways I do have a lot of what I want. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Um, one of the reasons why I even left the nomination that I was before I, you know, this was before, you know, me leaving the faith or whatever, is that I said, hey, you know, I was part of the United Methodist Church and they were still arguing about whether or not queer folks can be clergy or whatever. Uh -huh. And, you know, me being me, what I said was that, you know, here's the reality. Um, I know, objectively speaking, that I'm just as skilled, if not more so, than many of the people who are debating me. <laughs> And I want to be able to one day leave my office and go home to my partner where there's a kid and a dog and all of that. And I actually have that, mm. you know, I have that. Um, so it's not as if I don't have a significant measure of what I would like. Um, to the rest of that, what I would say is that the way it's phrased is something higher than yourself, but what it really is, is a glorification of suffering in disguise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's glorifying suffering. Why don't you just stick it out? Why don't you just do it? And when I did stick it out, like Christianity inhaled the vast majority of my adult life. 
<laughs> so, so, I mean, it's not as if, um, you know, and I got busy really quick, you know what I mean? So it wasn't, it's not as if I didn't stick it out, you know what I mean? And I chose, it wasn't like I didn't know anything else. I chose to go over there, you know, by, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, and, and I went through so many different permutations of church. Clearly I was looking for something that ultimately I still was not found. Um, even in the more, you know, uh, even other traditions of Christianity still wasn't enough. But I just think that ultimately it's okay to be human self, human centered doesn't mean selfish. Mm. Um, and I think that's the thing is that I think Christianity, I think common Christianity as its practice is incredibly selfish. You think you're blessed. You think that somehow God is going to treat you better. Even progressive Christians, that somewhere deep down is this belief that, um, you know, because of my faith, God's going to favor me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm somehow, like somehow things are revolving around me. It's like, you know, oh, well, that somehow I'm better. Like, you know, even it's the idea, like it's the idea that I'm somehow intrinsically better than a dog. You know what I mean? That somehow God put me here to rule over the other animals uh-huh. as if we ourselves are not animals. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like just the, it's, it's Christianity itself is very, the way it's commonly practiced. And I say commonly, cause I think that particularly in the circles that we're in, uh-huh. we can get real, like forget that it's not like that, that we uh-huh. are like real. I would say that real life is more like the comment center, not is more like the comment section, not like the timeline. Yeah. And, yeah. and that it's more of that than what we experience. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's like, yeah, Christianity is very self-centered. It's like, yeah, God loves you so much that someone had to die. So that way I can figure out a way to get around my enmity towards you. And you are special because you made a choice. And so you are somebody because of what you decide to believe in because of where you go to church. And even though somebody else may have worked hard and somebody else has kids, you are favored because you prayed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you said yeah. some words this morning and you didn't eat. And it's it, that idea shows up in so many different ways, even outside of Christianity. I think that other spiritual, um, you know, ways of thought get a pass because they're not overtly Christian. They could be like, oh yeah, like, you know, it's, you know, it's pro back, but it's all the same thing. And they just don't say Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I, you know, I rubbed the crystal and now I'm going to get the job type of thing. And and I know that that's, that it's it's more in depth. And I don't want to be re- disrespectful to that, but it's a lot of times it's the same type of theistic thinking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's, yeah, I just think it's self-centered. You know what I mean? It's the idea that because you did something, the world's supposed to bend to you because you did something. That seems pretty selfish to me. Um, so what does a life post-theism look like? Like, what is it like to wake up and there is no God? What is there like to to live in a world where as a black man, you are always assumed to be Christian. <laughs> um, how do you navigate that? Well, it can be a challenge. Um, it has been a challenge, frankly. Um, 
it's gotten better, I would say. Um, but it, at first it was a challenge. There's a lot of my close, I mean, I still have a lot of close friends who are very involved in church. And for people who really were important to me, I really tried to make an effort to say, hey, look, church matters to you. And because you matter, like, I don't want you to think that like church matters to you. And so, because you matter to me, it, you know, if you, like you're getting an award at church or something, I'll come, you know what I mean? If like, if you're getting a new pastor position, I'm excited for you. Like you can talk about it with me. Like we had the same education and experience, sure. Mm-hmm. And I really went out of my way to try to communicate that to people. Um, but I think that for so many of us, particularly for black folks, we just, it's so ingrained in our culture that it's hard for people to know how to address it. So mm-hmm. when you say, oh, well, you know, you say, oh, I'm going through our time. Well, okay, well, I'll pray for you. Oh, what do you know? It's like, it, if you deal with it, honestly, you have to deal with the reality and you have to figure out a way to do it. A friend of mine, he asked me some good questions. They were honest questions, mm-hmm. but he was like, well, just how are you amazed by anything? Like he just could not understand because like to him, God is creativity and it takes all the creativity yeah. out of things if you don't believe. And so, you know me, I'm a big nerd and I love mm-hmm. dinosaurs. And so I'm like, have you ever gone and just looked at a dinosaur skeleton, like a big T-Rex skeleton? Look at that. That mm-hmm. is awe-inspiring. Look at the little dots in the sky, if, you know, when you see the stars, think about how unfathomably far away they are. And think about how big they actually are. And think about mm-hmm. the fact that we exist because long ago stars exploded, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. that, you know, big, huge stars exploded and heavy, all the other. That's amazing to me. I don't need anything else. I don't mm-hmm. need something else. That is amazing. That is transcendence to me, but to know that, you know, the stuff that makes me me once upon a time was something else. And that when I'm gone, I won't be like this, but I'll, the stuff that makes me will just be something else at some other point in time. That's amazing to me. Like how can like nature and flowers, it's, I don't need to think somebody made it to appreciate it because it's there. It's finding the beauty in the moment and the beauty, I think it makes it more beautiful because it's here and then it's not. Mm. You know, in heaven, which is why people can be reckless with theology often, it's like, oh, well, we'll get it back when the Lord comes, you know? You can also, it's also why you could say like, you know, people died so that you can X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. because we, because this idea that we get it back, but we don't get it back, we don't get it back. When I'm gone, there will never be anyone like me. That's it. It's done. It's over. When you're gone, that's it. It's done. When any of us are gone, it's over. It's done. Each time one of us dies, however we die, that is the end of a universe. It's over. Kaput. History. Done. Forever. That's it. We did not exist. We came into being. Poof, we're gone. And everything that came with us, everything that we were, everything that we were about, anything that we made, whoosh. Done. It's the same for every flower, every bug, every tree. And that's why it's so precious. That's why Mm. it's beautiful. Not because one day someone will burn it up, but then bring it all back. Um, You know what I mean? Um, Uh Or because that somehow I'll get to. And also, I think it's just the 
again, the selfishness of it. It's like the assumption that what is so important about my current form is going to live forever somewhere. Mm -hmm. What's so special about me that I can't not exist? Mm. When there's more time that I didn't exist before this time. Mm -hmm. So what's so special about me that I have to, you know, exist forever? Yeah. You know, That's it's very humbling. It's humbling because we don't we none of us have to be here. None of us have mm -hmm. to be here. And that's why we're all so special. That's why we all matter. That's why we should work for justice. That's why we should do all of these things. Because all of us, all of our lives are precious. All of us are here. And so that's why I balk at the idea that, oh, well, you think it's just all about, you know, when people say you don't believe, it's like, oh, well, it's, it's so much so all about you. Prioritizing my well-being is not the same thing as being selfish, but I actually take better care of people and things because I know they don't have to be here and I don't have to, I don't have those same things to hide behind to block me from interacting with people mm -hmm. um, and, and the reality of who they are in their lives. So that's my long answer to that. No, that was good. And um, so in the black community, church is, a staple. It's it's a, it's a point of connection and it provides support. And we talked about this a little before and community for people. Have you been able to find that community for yourself? And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go um, ahead. Yes. Um, in different ways, I have been able to. Um, like I said, I, um, church, and in fact, religion is actually very expensive. I don't think people actually think about that. Religion oh. takes a lot of resources to do and to do it even reasonably well it takes a lot of resources and so mm -hmm. it's not you know you can get these things other in other ways but it's very expensive of your time and your money like i'm not going to get those 10 12 odd years back i'm not saying i regret it per se but like the resources the effort the mental commitment all that type of stuff it's a, it takes a lot of effort to get something um to you know it takes a lot but um, I found it in other ways. I think my situation, to be fair, is a little unique. Um, this is okay. dovetailing a little bit. But um, I am what they would call um, neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, you know, all what, no, I mean, dovetail into all that stuff. But that makes, that makes community and doing people things in some ways a little bit challenging for me in those ways. But what mm -hmm. I found is that um, people in other diverse communities, um, I think the beauty of the time we're living in is that it, you can find black people doing the things that you wanna do. Like back in the day, you know, if you were black and loved comic books, like when I was growing up, you know, I, ha I was fortunate to have black folks who were into all types of different things. But if you live somewhere and you wasn't, didn't know black folks like the one thing you liked and that was it. But now you can connect mm -hmm. with people everywhere. And so I like, you know, I'm I'm heavy into like uh, blurred culture. And so mm. comic books and video games, stuff like that. Um, so I definitely make it a point to go. Actually, the BlurCon was canceled this year. So mm. not won't be going this year, but I'd rather be alive. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go anyway, because like, not, 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 but it was just that it was canceled. But I find community around things that we like to do. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there are lots of, I think that's the thing is that if you 
community is a big issue. And I did I I need to actually sit and write this article because I keep saying it on podcasts, but I never write it. But um, that's the tension. So I'm usually in between. So on the one hand, I am defending black religion and not defending it because I believe the religion, but because a lot of critiques on black religion are based in racism and anti-blackness. The idea that we're stupid, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we were just mm -hmm. smarter, we wouldn't mm -hmm. be doing all this church stuff. And that's mm -hmm. not fair, but you know, and then that's not, I don't think that that's not productive and that's based in, in, in anti-blackness. And so I have to push against that. Uh -huh. But then on the flip side, I have to say, okay, wait, but that doesn't mean that I'm coming to the prayer meeting because there's issues with this too. Mm -hmm. We've been praying for a long time and there's lots of stuff still. I mean, Trump is president. How many black, people, how many black women prayed for something different? And this is, you can argue that if God is real, God really likes white people. There, there's more evidence that God likes white people. And that, you know- Then James Combs, God of the oppressed. Well, I mean, well, see, here's the thing. I wish, when I was at Howard, I wish that they also had us read Is God a White Racist by um, William Jones. I've heard a lot about that book, but I haven't read it. So you, you just gave me the idea of reading those together. Yes. Well, the thing about it is he's a contemporary. Mm -hmm. And you have the way, and, and again, understandably so, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? About, you know, and, and, and I've got to meet him and talk to him a few times myself, uh, uh, you know, James Cone. Wonderful uh -huh. mind, all that, um, you know, yeah, of course. Um, but what, I wish somebody would have done is also present critiques of black theology. Mm. Mm. And because if even if you read like the Ford of is God a white racist, like James Cohen's like, yeah, this is a great response. Like he's praising mm. the book. You know what I'm saying? But it's never like if you if you set it up, the you set up the argument that if looking for evidence, it's more evidence to to argue that God is really that God is a racist that God's project in the world is a racist project. Mm. Um, and there's far more evidence for that. If you're gonna look at evidence, you mm -hmm. know, our freedom is momentary blips in God's plans mm. <laughs> that God comes back to rectify. There, there's Ooh, more evidence shit. for that, um, you know, that we have to keep fighting uphill, but they keep winning, you know, somehow, mm -hmm. some way. But, I wish that I would have read that in undergrad. Well, not undergrad. I wish I would have read that while I was still at Howard. I wish I would have been exposed to it then. So I think it would have generated some really good conversations. Um, I didn't read mm -hmm. it until I was well gone. But once mm -hmm. I read it, I knew. I, once I read it, I knew that she was going to drop because I was kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, can't escape my own brain. Like if I see something, it's like, okay, I can't pretend that I didn't know this. But, but yeah. So yeah. As someone who is always looking to create a world with more justice and more equity and just more inviting to people who have been pushed to the margins, what can people do to make the world more inviting and comfortable to people who don't believe, to people who are atheists? So I would say this. Um, I think when, when people ask that question, and I'm saying this way to, 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 to demonstrate something, mm -hmm. it's like, when you're at church, have church. 
Mm -hmm. I actually want a church, an equitable church, because it's mm -hmm. more of them than it is of me. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and the homophobes are quoting the Bible. You know what I mean? Um, the uh, and and so I want a I want a church that is equitable and is for justice for all people. I want mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But in your own, in people's own lives and interactions, don't assume faith. Like if, like, like really ask somebody or just don't, don't assume it. Like really think about the things of your faith. Like let's say something's going on say, oh, hey, well, I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You may mean well, but that person, maybe they don't need to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like really think about ways. And also I think particularly in our justice spaces, uh -huh. it often is very, it's often a very, an undercurrent of theistic assumption that the mm -hmm. arc will bend towards justice and that, you know, we're only a half feet away from a prayer mm -hmm. and that in some spaces understandable. Again, if you're, if we're, if it's a church organizing meeting and the church is about the march then fine, do it. But if we're not in those situations, then to consider other ways of doing it, to consider not invoking those gods and to consider not invoking those types of spiritualities. And I would say really do an effort. There is a very strong, vibrant history of black atheists and agnostics and free thinkers. And I'm not talking about like people who are on the corner yelling at folks <laughs> you know what I mean? Like random, but like, no, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like, I'm not talking about that type of stuff. Like I'm talking about like, there are, there's a long history of black, like black atheism itself did not arise because, oh, they read a book by a white person. It was like, they looked at the conditions of black people and decided that no, God must not be real. And so black atheism emerged on its own in some ways as a contemporary of like black Christianity in America. So that's why you had the spirituals and you had the blues kind of, mm. it, it's a long, it's a lot, mm -hmm. it's a mm -hmm. lot together. I mean, clearly the church clearly, you know, is the, the primitive institution, but there's so many of, even folks that we know, Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes, a. Philip Randolph, um, the, the, the list goes on. There are so many people who are so prominent who had, who were like, no, this God stuff, no. <laughs> In fact, absolutely not. Um, and so it's a very, like, just really avail yourself of our people and our culture for the folks who have done something different. Um, and you'll find that, no, they, it wasn't because they read some white man's book. They thought about it and was like, yeah, I don't believe this. And it's very black. Um, but just really just be sensitive. Be sensitive to the people who you are dealing with. Do not assume, like if you're giving them something, communication, love, support, give it to them in a way that is meaningful to them. Don't mm -hmm. give it in a way that's easy for you. And that mm -hmm. may take on a number of things. So for example, let's say with someone like me, if someone knows me, I don't generally get mad about this. I'm just generally like, oh, okay. It's like, oh, I'm gonna mm -hmm. be praying for you. And it's like, oh, okay. But that mm -hmm. doesn't, like if you are trying to demonstrate that you are being meaningful to me, 
you would say, well, I more appreciate saying, listen, I'll be thinking about you. If you need me, mm-hmm. call me, right? Mm-hmm. That's more meaningful to me. Um, so just I... to, to make sure that you're doing things that help the other person, not just things that make you comfortable. I'm trying to be more meaning, more mindful about asking, what do you need from me? Or how can I help you through yes, this? Yes, that's really good. Because even like, even if it is like a praying Christian, like we sometimes it's not prayer that even Christians need. Sometimes mm-hmm. like it's all about the need of the person and what is going to be more beneficial and helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to want it. Someone like me, I'm just not gonna. Like, I'm I'm better now, and I generally know that people mean well. But if it's someone who's closer, I'll be like, you know, so can we not do that? But I think too, Christianity is still so that relative privilege thing. Uh huh. Clunky, clunky way of saying it. It's like we're not used to we're not used to that, and so people are just like, oh, what do you mean I can't pray? Like we we people take it as their own personal freedoms are being denied when it's like, you can go pray. We see it I as just don't want to pray. Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, you. I didn't say you can't pray. I just don't want to pray with you. And I don't want to, to have to be subjected to it. Like, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's very easy. Like, it, it, it's just, we don't understand how Christianity has been, even our own communities, how it's been privileged. Mm-hmm. And how that can impact a lot of other people and things and a lot of other ideas. And so it's just like, yeah, it's like you, I, I don't want a world where people cannot practice their faith. That's bad. That's really mm-hmm. bad. It's really mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I don't want that kind of world because I don't want everybody, everyone's not going to be a non-believer. That's unreasonable to think that. But I want a world where we can share and have a better world together. Just like I'm not going to go to church and be like, why are y'all praying? Mm-hmm. I'm here. Stop praying in, in church on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, that, that's just yeah. unreasonable. It's unreasonable yeah. to do that. Um, uh-huh. But it doesn't mean that if you come to my house, no, we're having Bible study at my house. No. <laughs> you can but go home and read your Bible. Bible. <laughs> we're thinking to have lots of Bibles here still, so maybe maybe that doesn't really work to say. <laughs> so um I am finishing up religion in North American class. So I am all in the creeds and the cultists and culture and community of religion. Do you have that in your life without being a theist? Does like are there still creeds that you have that you practice and are in uh an integral part of your day-to-day life? Yes. And so so my argument is that theism and religion are not one of the same. You will often find them together, Uh but they are not the same. I still Mm -hmm. consider myself religious. Um, One, I have, since I was like 12, I've always been into some form of Buddhism and meditation. Uh Uh-huh. And so that is still a part. I also was very heavy into martial arts. And so actually the tenets of Taekwondo, um, courtesy, integrity, faith, perseverance, wait, courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, and dominable spirit. Mm. Those are like, those guide me. Um, one of the creeds at Howard Taekwondo still guides me. I forgot of it, but the end of it is like, it matters not if we meet, it, it matters not if we reach the, the peak the honor is just to climb. 
type of mm. things. Like there's still these things that, that really hold my world together, these types of ideas. And they, they're still there. Um, I would say also a philosophy has taken a place for a lot of those things. Um, I would say, I would feel more comfortable saying I'm an absurdist than an atheist. Because I feel like saying I'm an absurdist um, kind of covers the atheism piece. <laughs> but, it's, but it's more um, succinct in that way. Um, I, I hear that. Um, for me, the myth of Sisyphus is a, it's, okay, I'm gonna get real nerdy. It's written by this guy, Albert Camus. Have you ever heard of Sisyphus, like the Greek myth of the guy pushing the rock up the hill and it always falls back no. down? Oh yes, the rock, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I never heard that mm -hmm. name with it, but yeah, I know what. Yeah, and so basically what he's saying is that Sisyphus is a perfect example of our everyday experience. Mm -hmm. And so we move a rock up and it falls down, rock down, rock down. And that what makes Sisyphus a hero is that Sisyphus is the one who decides what this rock means to him. And so mm -hmm. that's how he beats the rock because he's the one who figures out it's not the gods meant it to be a punishment and to make an example of him and all whatever. But in that mundane whatever, he is the one who decides, he takes the responsibility upon himself to figure out what this rock means to him. Mm -hmm. And that's the responsibility of living life without a God is that you need to figure out what life means to you. No one is telling you, no one is making you. You have to make meaning of these things that are inherent, like a rose does not mean anything. Mm -hmm. Stars don't mean things. Like I think that's one other thing I really had to push back against Christianity because Christianity teaches us that um, everything has a purpose. Mm -hmm. It's like we're all appliances. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, but mm -hmm. a microwave and, and a car and a wrench, like these things are made and they have a purpose and we're the same way. And it's like, well, no, humans don't really work that way. And so we, you decide what you mean to you, mm -hmm. not because someone told you, but because it's what you figured out. You decide what you need to do for you. You decide what the rose, why do you have a dog? Is it because you were told or because you find something meaningful in the, in the exchange for you? Why do you put roses in the vase on your table? Because you're supposed to or because it's something meaningful for you? It's a large possibility, but ultimately you make the meaning for your life. You have to decide what things mean to you. And it's not to say that Christian folks don't do this mm -hmm. and can't do this. What I would argue is that a lot of times Christians are not, and as being saying that since I was in the same situation, we are not given the tools to make meaning of our own existence for ourselves. We are told what it is. And so you, when something happens that challenges your idea of what someone told you, you don't know what to do mm -hmm. because you were told who you were and here's all these things that are kind of coming along saying you're not any of that. Mm -hmm. And so either you're going to go deeper and say, no, devil, I'm not any of that or whatever. You want to go that route, you know, mm -hmm. or you're just going to be stymied because you don't know how to make meaning of your own existence for yourself. And mm -hmm. I think that's the that that's the bigger part, that it's that you don't have the tools to navigate your own life. If it's something there's a lot of stuff in the Bible is not going to, you know, that happen in the Bible that will you won't find it in there to help you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or just in mm -hmm. prayer or things like that. It's like, it's those tools to make meaning of your own life in healthy ways. Like 
saying that God has a plan for everything is not a meaningful way to navigate your life, even if you're a theist, because mm. you have to explain away. And I think that's the other part too. You have to live under the constant threat of God. Mm. And that is the other part. God cannot truly be trusted because God had to, someone had to die just for you to get to this point. And God at any minute can just pitch a fit mm -hmm. to get your attention. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, if anyone did that, we'd say they're an abusive partner. And even mm -hmm. in our more progressive spaces, we can kind of, and I've done this too. So on, on me as well, it's like, you know, oh, well, you have a, maybe a more sophisticated idea about it or whatever. Mm -hmm. One, I think a lot of progressive ideas, they often fall flat. Because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so either God has all this power or God can't really do anything. What's the point? Well, God is with me. And so we're all getting gunned down together. And <laughs> it's like, yay, God is dying with me. That's comforting. Um, yay. I mean, it, it, it's, it's like, and it, it's those things that matter. It's like, yay. Well, God is with me in the hospital room. Mm. Oh, is God getting chemotherapy? I mean, I didn't get chemotherapy. I'm just saying, you know, but like, mm. it's like, is God like, it just, it brings up these questions that are very real questions uh -huh. that when you look at the reality of life, theism does not answer, particularly mm. the type of theism that Christianity espouses. I think you can get things closer. I actually think things like the, like the God, like idea of God in Judaism and the other faiths actually make a little more sense. Still don't agree, but actually makes more sense. God is temperamental. God changed, God is whimsical and all kinds of other things. God needs, God changes God's mind. Christianity sets with, up a, I mm -hmm. rock with Judaism a lot. Like mm -hmm. Jewish thought around who God is. It And even like, Jewish thought around sin and forgiveness makes a lot more sense to me in a practical way than mm -hmm. the Christian ideas that are yeah. the mainline Christian ideas, mm -hmm. we'll say. And, I, and you know, my first exposure to for real organized religion for real, for real was uh, Judaism. My mm. best friend growing up, her mom is Jewish. Uh huh. And my second grade teacher was Jewish. And so we, and Christmas holiday time, we did Hanukkah. And so between mm -hmm. her and my, between my second grade teacher and, and my friend growing up, I was, mm -hmm. I was exposed to. So that, that my first ideas about God came um, from, from Judaism. But even, even though I still would not agree with that, mm -hmm. that makes more sense to me. Mm -hmm. Moses arguing with God makes more sense to me. Mm -hmm. then Christianity sets up lots of things, lots of very bold claims that just, it's like, well, no, it's not here. You have to mm -hmm. kind of, it's like this extended line of credit that you have to give it um, mm -hmm. over and over and over and over and over again. And you have to interpret everything. Through, oh, well, this is what God did. It's always in hindsight. Like imagine getting gifts and getting help and like, oh, that was from so-and-so. You never really, you know, you know, it's never anything obvious. Uh -huh. um, and a lot of people, that's their world. That's what they make meaning of is where they find friends, family, and some measure of success. So why they stay, it's not that they don't believe. I don't, I wouldn't be 
that unfair to that. Oh, well, you don't believe for real. But I don't think that's oh, fair. Oh, I said that in a paper. You know, but it, it's, <laughs> it's not. Well, the, the, I think what happens is people discount the material reasons why they stay. Mm-hmm. And so if mm-hmm. it's just like, hey, like I said even earlier on, if maybe if things went differently, would I be sitting here saying this? Maybe not. Who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think anything, if if God is that big and that all-important and all-knowing, which, again, Christianity sets up God to be that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that that's the thing is that God sets up a big thing, God sets up a really big pinata to hit and misses it consistently mm-hmm. all around, all over to the point when it's like, you know what I mean? Like if someone has that much power, why aren't you helping? Or mm-hmm. do you not have power? It's like mm-hmm. in terms of the progressive God, like, you know, and more gross Christianity that, oh, well, God can only work through persuasion. So you mean the creator of the universe is bad at persuading people? So the car salesman is better at persuading people than God is. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't make it. The reason is that though, and I'm gonna explain why I'm saying it this way, because it might come out, it might sound insulting, but it's not meant to be. Okay. People don't believe because of logic. They're not thinking. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they're stupid, right? Because mm-hmm. people equate mm-hmm. that with being numb. People, faith is not for the brain. Mm-hmm. It's to help me make sense and navigate life. It's not to sit down and critically think about whatever, whatever. And to be fair, so many of our folks don't have the space to do that. They're trying to get to tomorrow. They're mm-hmm. trying to pay the rent. They're trying to survive. They're trying to do all sorts of other things, things that don't give you the time and space to sit down and reflect. Let me think about the meaning of life. Hmm. While I'm Mm -hmm. on my third shift, you don't Mm -hmm. have the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's not. And it's also indicative of our breakdown. Like I give you an example all the time. There's some dude working at Walmart who has diabetes and he has a sore on his foot. He can miss work and travel to the clinic, pay too much money to get his foot looked at, even though he can't afford all the medication, and risk losing his job. Huh? Or he can go to Walmart, keep his piece of a job, but then when Peter Popoff comes on the TV screen, believe that the, the rag can help him. Now, a lot of Shout us would- Shout out to team. Angie. She will tell you Peter Popoff <laughs> is her favorite. <laughs> you know, like the miracle water. So right. like, for people, People will laugh at that dude and say he's stupid. Why would he do that? Whatever, whatever. But think about it. He has no other. He has no other option. Uh-huh. He doesn't have any other option to do. There's mm-hmm. no better option to do. And so I think for people who, people who are atheists, and particularly I think for folks who, I think my situation unique is that I am a non-believer, but I'm also theologically trained. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, when they bash. When, when they talk about Christianity, they'll often have things that I'll agree with, but they'll be like, okay. But then they give, go to place where it's like, you know, oh, well, all the black people, they're just, you know, following behind a white man. It's like, wait, no, that's not how it happened. You know, so like it, it, it becomes that tension. But it's like a bad answer is better than no answer at all. Mm. And if you mm. have no other resource, if you have no other thing, then, then that's Peter what people Popoff have. To- looks like God. Yeah, because it's it's a desperation thing. It's, it's what else am I supposed to do? Just give up? 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And for some people, it's like, look, I believe that God loves me and that's what gets me out of bed tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's a very real thing. And I think that for people, at least the way I approach it, being that I was a person of faith like that, I always keep that in mind that one, that I was that person. Mm-hmm. And I remember what it, what it meant for me in those times, in the situations that arose for me in those times. So I don't get I don't lose the humanity piece of it. It's like, like, why did I do those things? I was a young man figuring out their life, figuring out what, who I was as a person, you know? Um, I mean, there's so many stories in the book about how a lot of Christian ministries on college campuses are actually taking advantage of, of, of kids. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what college students are for the most parts. They're still mm-hmm. pretty much kids. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and how they take advantage of that very front of time in people's lives to recruit them to be soldiers for the Lord sort of thing. Um, yes. But and, um, but yeah, I just, it's, people need an answer. And I think that's what I would say to people who are also non-believers is that you need to give people an answer, not to beat them over the head and show them how silly you think they are in owning mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I save that for people who who have similar chops as me. Those are the folks that I go for. And I've, mm-hmm. I've always been that way. I'm not trying to dunk on Nana, unless mm-hmm. Nana has my degree. Then I'm trying to dunk on Nana if she tries it. But, You're not um, punching but, down. Yeah, it's like, I don't, and it's not so much like, oh, well, I'm so much smarter than you. It's more like, you know, you don't, this is, this, this is where you are. And I can meet you where you are. If this is what makes sense for you. And if this is mm-hmm. the only way you can make meaning. But mm-hmm. I think going back to what we said before, I think that's been my struggle with, like, with the community piece because what I found particularly with the people that I've been connected to, I felt that I would be the one making more of the effort to connect and it would not come back this way. Mm. And so what I would find is that, wow, it's a lot of church stuff happening, a lot of church talk happening, a lot of things whatever are talking about, and not just in the commonalities that we had and experiences people, but just like when you're gonna kind of step over here and I find myself always over there, does uh-huh. that make sense? Uh-huh. And so that part is hard. Because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so you just have to kind of stop. So that part is hard. But I can say that while probably quantity has definitely diminished, the quality has probably gone up. So, mm. so what is a question that I did not ask you that you wish I had asked? Oh, Hmm. 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 I don't know. Hmm. Shout out to my friend Rahel who taught me that question. She's a community <laughs> organizer, and that's her go-to question. Like, wow, that's a great question. What I is- would say, hmm. I don't, I'm trying to think. I know one thing that sometimes mm-hmm. I've encountered and that actually this was recently, um, somebody who, you know, who, who matters a lot to me when I just basically told them and um, they kind of like lectured me for an hour. <laughs> and they basically said that they thought I was making a really big mistake mm-hmm. and that they thought I could make a lot of change in the church if I would have stayed 
and that, you know, I could have done more good if I stayed given my theological leanings and things like that. And that ultimately it's very human centered and all of that other stuff. Mm. And I think that is the thing that often bothers me mm-hmm. is that the idea, like for me, this is indicative of growth. For other people that may not be the case, but mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. it's indicative of growth. My theological education does not disappear or become useless simply because I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And the idea that I have to suffer and go without simply to maintain someone's hope that things will change. Mm. Um, is unfair. I do not think the church deserves to survive if it cannot treat all of God's people well. It does not deserve, and they're talking about the institution. It does not deserve it. I refuse to defend it simply because it's historical or because my nana went there and pop pop and and uncle got a pew with his name on it queer people are black people um Mm -hmm. women are black people children are black people let's talk about how children are not treated well in church at all we think that children are basically a step above pets Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right um and so even that and so no i don't think any human institution even if you are a theist, most people would say that there's between the church as the called out ones and the church as an institution. Mm-hmm. No institution deserves no institution deserves to to survive into you know eternity or whatever, just because we like it. Particularly if it is a source of harm for people. And the reality is is that Christianity has been a source of harm for many, many, many people, many, many people of, of, of our faith. It has not been the best answer for, for a lot of our folks. It has been the only answer that we've ever mm-hmm. been exposed or ever had. And we may have found our ways to reconcile with that for better or for worse. I'm not, I, for a time, was even a very, in my various Christian incarnations, having qual- a quality life from what I understood at that time. Mm-hmm. But the idea that Christianity itself particularly the further you move beyond the hush harbors um, mm-hmm. that, and we started becoming more institutionalized that, that the black church has always been this balm of wonderful refuge and wonderful place of healing. It's just not true. That's not even a, it's not even about bashing. That's just not a, that's not how humans work. Mm-hmm. And I think we ignore that to our own peril that um, I would argue particularly now that um, a lot of churches more or less, it's this a lot of theology that's just, it's, it's a lot of black people performing a lot of theology from white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just yeah. kind of what, it, what it is. And so it's not a, like I said, I don't, any church, you know, right? Like, like you know, we don't, it's, no institution should survive and be allowed to thrive if it cannot care for all of us. It should not get our support. I'm not saying to go and start knocking down churches or whatnot. But why? But but why? Why why should I if I care about all black people, I don't support. If I care about all black people, then I don't want the black pastor to be preaching a homophobic sermon or to be sexist or to 
or to say some ridiculous political idea because I care about black people. And if mm-hmm. and if care does not come from what, what you're doing, then we can, I can remove my support and we all should. Mm. Um, I don't have to agree with you I don't have to go, but if you're gonna if we're gonna share space, we have to share it together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that that's my thing. I'm not really one of those folks who want to like destroy religion um, because one or just destroy theism because that's just not going to happen. And I think ultimately that's a very anti-black and brown stance because most of the people in the world are black and brown, and mm-hmm. most of them are believe in some form of God. So again, that's a kind of a not that I agree with there being a God, but it's amazing how we're not going to Kentucky to the farm, mom, pa, kettle, and getting them to calling them dumb for believing in God. Why are we talking about our folks being dumb for believing in God? Um, but yeah, it's just that we, if we can't treat it, any space that does not treat all of us well, and is not willing to strive to learn how to treat us all well, doesn't deserve it. And I think, you know, even as someone who used to be a preacher, it's still offensive to me when I see folks, preachers, you know, having affairs, having babies, doing all types of other stuff, not even because they're doing those things, uh-huh. but because me and other folks like me and who are in similar situations struggle so much just to, not, not to mention just paying bills, but just to struggle to present their best selves to, what, to the work of their ministries. Mm-hmm. And you have folks who are literally folks who would say, even before me being atheist, like, oh, I'm wrong for being queer or whatever, who are just doing all types of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and just really making a mockery of not the fact that maybe they're having sex or whatever, but just how they go about their ethical life. Mm-hmm. And that's just awful to me. It's really awful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that really sucks. Um, but I think I like it over here on this side. I like I like the fact that it's it's not it's it's a, it's up to me what it means. It's not I don't have to find a scroll something to figure out what it means. Um it's I get to figure it out for myself. You just said something too. Um so being a theist doesn't make you ethical because you know mm-hmm. with God comes ethics, right? No. You are a good person. <laughs> Right, right. Like God is awful. Like, I mean, like God does a lot of ridiculous stuff. Even in the New Testament, God is pretty messed up. In the New Testament, too. Like New Testament, God gets off the hook, but New Testament, God is pretty awful as well. Um, I know. I I think I tweeted about it, and I would think no one yelled at me. So maybe that means no one pushed to me anymore. So so that's good. I said something about Jesus really wasn't nonviolent. After all. And I was like, he's not really. I said, when you think about it, he's not really like calling him nonviolent is kind of like a stretch. Mm. It's a simplification of it. You know, um, he said, he talked about, you know, I come bringing a sword. And if you mess these little ones, it's better that you're thrown into the bottom of a lake with a rope tied around your neck. And I did research on the temple and how mm-hmm. Jesus, like when you do research on all this type of stuff and whatever, Jesus and his folks staged an uprising. It was a revolt. Mm-hmm. And you don't make a whip and flip over tables to the point of getting the attention of the authorities if you're nonviolent. That's not a nonviolent. Like Martin Luther King was nonviolent. 
he had a sit-in. Like, he just didn't do it. He didn't do a sit-in. His folks didn't do a sit-in. They flipped over tables and caused commotion, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the point where he was murdered for it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even that, if, if you think that God's plan as the Bible presents it, if, if, if Jesus is thinking that God's redemption is, is attached to his death, that's also not nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and also how is God going to remove the Romans? Because that's what the main deal really was, is that God kicking the Romans out. So how is God going to get rid of the Romans? Is God going to love them out? Is God going to like carry them up in his wings of love and place them back in Italy or something? Like what is God, how is God going to get rid of the Romans? No, he's going to kill them all and, and win and beat them in a war. That was the idea um, that, you know, Jesus himself did not lead a revolt. And he, there uh-huh. are things that make him distinct in his, there are lots of messiahs around the same time as Jesus, lots, lots, yeah. lots, lots and yeah. lots. Um, what made him distinct is that he went to poor people. Mm-hmm. He did not charge for healing folks. Mm-hmm. And he did not lead an armed revolt or talk about armed revolt. The idea is that God would do it. God's mm-hmm. gonna do it. So y'all, mm-hmm. let's get ourselves together. Because once we get ourselves together, God's going to come and mess everything up and get rid of that. That was the difference. Um, and so that's what makes him distinct. And I still carry that. I think that makes, you know, it's very, very distinct. Um, you know, Wallace yeah. says, what's funny is that Superstar is the first time I saw a depiction of Jesus flipping tables in the temple that was probably more accurate than the Disney version. And uh, I heard in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. The, that version is something, so there's a way that scholars use to figure out what probably is attached to something that happened in reality in the Bible and, some, and well, in the mm-hmm. Gospels and things that are not. So the the temple narrative appears in every Gospel. And in John's mm-hmm. Gospel, it's assumed that it happened. It, it, it assumes that it happens three times. That's why people think that Jesus ministered for three years. He probably didn't. It was probably just one. But because it's mentioned three times in John, people think it's three years. But this, but even though the story is played around enough, it's mentioned enough. Like, you know, when four people tell the story and it's different, but they all mentioned the red car, that means that the red mm-hmm. car was there. Yeah. And yeah. so something about this temple thing happened and was the thing that the whole story turned its head on. Mm-hmm. And so to make a whip, you have to, like the word in Greek, like Jesus literally made a whip and he wasn't just walking around with it. Like you just have to really think about what the situation was. And the temple was like a bank and a church and a place of business all in one, this really big place. And so just one person crack, like think about it. Like if you went into a store and just stood there and just started politely dropping soda cans on the ground, is that going to get anyone's attention? Mm-hmm. But what if you went in there with a gun mm-hmm. and you started flooding it around and pushing over things? And then not just you, but your friends did it too. That's different. And so that's what would have gotten their attention. And so like the Jesus that people talk about, like I think Jesus is a great figure. I think I, I still like him a lot. But a lot of the Jesus that people hold on to is like that's not even what's in there, like what's literally there. That's not it. Like Jesus mm-hmm. gave away stuff for free. He said that rich people should give away all of their shit to the poor people, that God hates rich people, basically. He thought that like the like the parable of the rich young ruler, 
I did everything. I did everything that you said. Okay, you did it. Yes, you did. But now give away all your stuff. Mm. No, that was the mm -hmm. requirement. Become like us. Mm -hmm. Or in Maggie Twenty Five, like I think I preached a sermon on that. One of my last ones, where I was like, we. I'm one of the seminarians who actually defends Paul a little bit, <laughs> which is weird, probably. But I said that we. But Jesus. His idea of salvation was in Matthew 25 about, oh, well, you didn't visit me in jail. You didn't yeah. visit those other things. And he was okay with telling people that they couldn't come to the banquet. You can't come. No, you were all invited, but you didn't do what mattered. So you cannot come. And that kind of flies in the face of a like progressive. Christianity, like, yeah. Like you know, like like God, like like basically that God loves everybody. Hell isn't real, and whatever. Jesus is here saying, "You can't come." Like he's literally saying, "You cannot come to my party." I invited you, but mm. you did not. He associated himself with the people in jail, the people who were sick. I didn't see you there, mm. and when you didn't visit him, so you didn't visit me. So I don't know who you are. So you can't come. That is that wasn't just pretend. And so there's a Jesus who is okay with cutting people off, who is okay with violence and against himself and others, <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Who is who a Jesus who is far more complicated and I think far more human and relatable, I think, than um, honestly what's there. And I don't think you, I still find that relatable. I think it's a wonderful story. Um, I don't, ascribe any salvation to it. But I think for me, it still forms like this, the idea, like I learned, I would be lying if I said that my progressive politics and ideas did not start from having a more progressive understanding of Jesus, that would be inaccurate. But I think as my understanding of Jesus became more and more progressive, then it kind of made the other stuff just not stick. Doesn't not need to stick as much. Mm, that makes sense. That's good for Dale. Thank you for joining us today. Where can the people find you? You know, Do you I'm on Twitter. I'm there. <laughs> I mean, I'm there. I don't, I'm, I mean, I tweet more now because, you know, the world is closed. So that's why I tweet um, between working, writing, and playing with my Switch, um, my Nintendo Switch, and, and, and dog walks. Oh, I thought you were over um, there making a when you said Switch. I thought you were, you know... Oh no, 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 no. But um yeah, I um I mean I'm on Twitter, uh the V uh the letter V dot spelled out. So it's V D O T W. Mm -hmm. Um so you can find me there. Um I'm gonna start doing more writing because I keep talking too much and not writing it down. I kinda when I left I kinda stopped the writing thing too because I got tired of writing. Um, but um, <laughs> that type of stuff. But I think I'm coming back to it. I want to write more about these types of things. So you can find me there. Um, I might in the next few days just share some stuff that I've also been a part of and share some of those things so we can do that too. So with your writing, are you, what is the purpose behind the work that you're writing? Is that like a big is that a big question or is like there is there a general answer that you can give for that? A couple of things. One, I feel like I really spent a lot of time being a Christian out loud. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's only fair to tell the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I don't I think that 
I need to tell the rest of the story, but also I want to demonstrate options for people. I think mm -hmm. that we need a bunch of people telling their stories. And so I want people to see that there's another way to do it. And I think the best way, at least for me with my skills is to write. I mm -hmm. want the record to show, like I want it to be like, if I died today, I want people to understand that, yeah, if we're praying at his funeral, he would not have wanted this. Mm. This is not what he would have wanted. This is not who he was. This isn't what he was talking about. These are not his values. And I think it's important for me being a black person um, to, to share that story and to draw and to add to that same history of people who were black um, and also had these critiques because they're, they, they've been there. Um, mm -hmm. I think I really would encourage everybody to really look into um, just reading about critiques of black theology from well-researched, studied black people. And they will mm -hmm. give you critiques. Like it's not just something that, oh, well, just some random, like our folks have had critiques for a minute. Um, and it's folks who have been doing the work, not just seeing that, but like we're talking about big deal activists and things like that who have had their critiques. And so I really, and just to keep, just to be well-rounded, um, you know mm. what I mean? Just to be well-rounded um, in those ways. Oh, I know a question. I know we're running late, but it's a question that, that you didn't ask. I think. Okay. People sometimes ask about me being spiritual. And oh, I would say that yeah. I'm still, I would say that I'm still very spiritual. It's just that my understanding of being spiritual is very different. Um, so how, how are you spiritual without being a theist? I don't think that my spirituality is attached to something outside of myself. Mm. My soul, if you would call it that, is the result of all of the intricate systems of my body being able to work functionally. Mm -hmm. That is why I'm able to exist in this capacity. If I go brain dead, that's over. You know mm. what I mean? So I am the result of a delicate balance of stuff working all together for as long as it works together. And my job, way of being spiritual is to tend to that. So mm -hmm. I still meditate, I write, like I said, I'm um, Zen Buddhism. Buddhism is a religion, but there's no God. Mm -hmm. It's about being, you know, it's about being present and about other types of things. Um, and Buddhism has a more realistic or more practical way of dealing with suffering than what you mm -hmm. find in Christianity, right? Yeah, because, well, uh, it depends on what branch of, Bo of Buddhism, because some Buddhism, okay. like I went to some, like, um, some Buddhism leans more, would be more like, okay, yeah, no, absolutely not. But uh, Zen Buddhism for, in particular, there isn't a God. So that's why um, um, it, it fits. And I've always, I think with martial arts, that's the one that usually happens anyway, is usually Zen Buddhism. But um, it's more like, how to engage with the reality in front of you. Yes. Yeah. And the idea that we do call, see the, the problem is that sometimes there's a lack of structural critique in Buddhism. But oh, when you talk okay. to black Buddhists, black Buddhists will include that. Okay. Um, but, uh, but there is this idea that in the things of our own personal life, like in our own personal spheres, we contribute to our own suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, in ways that we can progressively learn to lessen. 
mm-hmm. and that we make ourselves suffer by holding on to things. And I mean, Christianity teaches you to hold on to things. You're like, yeah, you're letting go of the world, but you're holding on to Christ. Mm-hmm. And you got to hold on no matter what. And so you learn to deal with the reality of life in front of you, with what's present in front of you. Um, learn to be present with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you go, you, instead of praying in lots and lots of words, and there's a space for that, but there's also something with having to be quiet with nothing but your own thoughts and to sit with yourself and to really allow your who you are to observe and deal with the reality of who you are without any noise. Mm. Um, that's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> so those yeah. spiritual disciplines, that rigor, that, that vitality is still something that's very important to me. But it's not attached to, well, I need to go fast so that way I can charge my power up type of thing. You know, uh-huh. um, It's not that, I, it's a very much, Bruce Lee was an atheist. Um, mm. And so it's very much rooted in his idea of personal energy, um, chi, if you will. Um, but it's a very human thing. It's not mm. an out there thing. It's not even a magical thing. It's a me thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my energy thing. Um, it, it's and not energy in like the kind of way people talk about today, but like, okay, how am I feeling? What am I doing with myself? How am I directing my power, my force? How can I direct myself in certain directions? And what is outside of my control? And how can I direct myself to impact what I can impact and then let the rest go? That's mm-hmm. really what it's more about um, in terms of, and just taking care of me. How can I take care of, what do I need to be able to exert the best of myself and to get the best from myself while I'm here? That's really my type of spirituality. And um, yeah. now that that's how I'm spiritual and I still claim that spirituality piece. And I also still claim that I'm a person who has faith. I just have faith in different things. I do not mm. have faith that someone is, and I have faith in myself. I have faith in what we all can do and be if we work together. It's a Buddhist idea of faith, not a blind, it's not a blank check. It's based mm-hmm. off of, you know, because of what's happened every morning so far, I have faith that the sun's gonna rise tomorrow. Mm. No reason to believe that it's not. It's mm. not God's gonna do it without any evidence, like, you know, I have reason to believe, like, I one of, one of the phrases that I first came up with and I come back to when I started the journey was that I want to learn to have as much faith in myself as I had in God. I want to learn to have that much faith in myself. Mm. And so mm. that's my journey. That is what I'm trying to do. As much as I trust in God, I want to at least try to have some of that in myself and in my, not unreasonable, Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh-huh. but I want to be able, I trusted God so much to my own detriment in so much, which I think that honestly, most church people, whether even they're still there or not, had trusted God and in church to the point where you receive harm to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I owe myself to my mind, I owe myself the effort to learn to love and trust myself and to pursue myself the way I pursue that out there. That's good, Rodell. Thank you for joining us. No problem. It was fun. You all can find Alan said that is beautiful. 
what you just said. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you can find Verdell on Twitter at VDOTW, and he will be sharing some writing soon because I'm going to harass him via text message until I see something up. So. I'm sure she will, and that is fine. <laughs> that will be helpful. It will help me actually do it. That oh. is fine. <laughs> you can find us at uh, Real Drunk Show on Twitter and Instagram, YouTube. We are The Real Drunk Show, realdrunkshow.com. And <laughs> we look forward to seeing you again soon. We do. Bye. Have a great night.